Blog Talk Radio. For all the news you need to know, welcome to the Beautiful Butterfly Show, where great people and great topics are brought together for stimulating and thought-provoking conversation brought to you by the Vibration Radio Network. Welcome, everyone, to the Beautiful Butterfly Show. I'm your host, Bianca Fly. want to say happy Thursday to you guys out there. Uh, if you didn't know, the Beautiful Butterfly Radio Show is brought to you by YRN 1328. That means you're listening to a show that's being broadcast globally, you guys. Uh, but nevertheless, you're in store for another spectacular treat this evening, you guys. we got a very special guest. Uh, we got Ayaba uh, Ebo. He's going to be joining us. Um, Ayaba Ibo Mandingo, excuse me. He's going to be joining us this evening, you guys, and he's going to be coming on. He is a painter, a poet, a writer, an actor, a singer, playwright, you name it, he does it. And so I'm excited about having him on. I've heard awesome things about him and even watched um, some of his performances uh, via social media. And so I'm excited about having him on the program this evening. So if you guys are out there, um, you may want to call in, ask a question, comment, feel free to do so. The number is 347-326-9139 is the number, you guys. And out there, make sure you share the show, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all those great places. Let everybody know about our special guest of this evening, you guys. But as always, uh, to get the show started, we got to pay a few bills first. So we're going to come back from our commercial break, and we'll be right back with our special guest right here on the Beautiful Butterfly Show. Check out the creative work of the author, Trent Williams, of www.taylorkennedymedia.com. Chapter of the Delta gives us a peek at his life-changing events. And if that's not enough, Trent tells you more about his brothers and his life through memoirs in his book, The Four Horsemen. His blogs and daily stimulating quotes are published in his book, Life's Little Addiction. And when you have a need of some human coaching of life and relationships, Take a look at Conversations with Trent, Volume 1 and 2, and Conversations with Trent, Limited Edition. You will find his work available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all online book retailers. And welcome back, everyone, to the beautiful Butterfly Show this evening, you guys. We are joined by our special guest, Iyaba Ibo Mandingo, you guys. He's joining us. And so we're going to learn all about him and more this evening. So we're not going to delay any further. We're going to bring the gentleman of the hour on here. Iyaba, are you there? 
Iyaba, you there? Okay, so we're going to give him a few moments, you guys. But nevertheless, I want to make sure that you guys share the show, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of those great places. And uh, we would love uh, for you to share the show and uh, show our guests some love this evening. And don't forget, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to call in and share that with us. And so we're going to get um, Iyaba on here. Iyaba, you there? Yes, I am, Sister Peace. How are you? Welcome to the Beautiful Butterfly Show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm, uh, it's my absolute pleasure. Wonderful. You know, um, I asked for a little practice with your name, and I've been trying to run through it <laughs> all day uh, well, I, and I, last I night. On, I was on when you were just introducing. You did it correctly. It's, it's Ayaba Ibo Mandingo. Oh, awesome, 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 awesome. And, of course, uh, for the folks out here who may not be familiar with who you are, I know that um, you um, are originally a native of Antigua, West Indies, and you came to the States um, in, a, in the 80s. Uh, but for the folks mm-hmm. out here who may not be familiar with who you are, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, that that part is ac- absolutely accurate. Actually, this month, uh, the 16th, in, in, in um, about uh, nine days or so, um, my family, okay. my mother, my sister, my brother, and I will be celebrating 37 years being here in the country. I'm celebrating maybe, wow. you know, we'll be acknowledging. That's a better word, it's acknowledging. It's not yeah. always, it hasn't always been a celebration these last 37 years. Right. But um, um, sadly, you know, my home country, you know, we're a small island in the Caribbean, 108 square miles. Our sister island is Barbuda. It was just completely annihilated yeah. by this um, Hurricane Irma. So this is, you know, this is an island yeah. that about 25, 30 miles across the water, uh, the Caribbean water wow. uh, to us. And, you know, it's it, people mm-hmm. in Antigua are reeling right now because it really is our sister island. So um, right. just, you know, sending out prayers for, for the family there and, and the people that are Absolutely. there and, and um, looking to start doing some fundraising things to start getting some help over there because, you know, the you know, no drinking water, no, you know, and it, it, it's it's sort of paradise when it's not a hurricane, you know, this sort of secluded yeah. island, it's very flat, which is why it was destroyed like that. So when you, when you, when you're approaching it on one of those, you know, those, um, those uh, ships that, that take you from the jetty that take you over from Antigua to there, mm-hmm. it really is like you're pulling up on something out of like a novel. The, 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 the sand on the beach is pink and the water wow. is crystal clear. You can see 20 feet down, wow. 30 feet down and, so it's, it, they're going to have to rebuild it from scratch. But we're some very resilient people. So I'm sending out Absolutely. all to all my Antiguans that are listening and all my Antiguan and Barbudans that are listening. I love you all. And everything I can do, I will do to to, to help us get back on our feet. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so um, for you um, coming here, um, and I heard you mention your family coming here as well. And so with so much going on um, in the media now, um, especially um, I, I'm sure you're familiar with the the DACA order. Um, I'm hoping yes. I'm pronouncing right. Um, yeah, that yeah, came yeah. across and and that has been put out here and has definitely a lot of people. And you know, for some people, they only thought, okay, well, this only affects you know Latinos, and but this is mm-hmm. this affects multiple cultures. And so, uh, what kind of what are your thoughts on that? Seeing how your family, you know, came over here. Um, and you guys are celebrating, um, a, you know, 37 years coming up. 
what is that feeling like to see this type of stuff taking place? Um, right well, now? I, I have a poem called Statue of Liberty. It always reminds me of a line in there where I say, uh, we're xenophobic offspring of European boat people who now write laws that would have sent their great-grandparents back. I mean, this country, literally, not figuratively or metaphorically, is the, the people who are here, they're third and fourth and gen, you know, generation right. European boat people. I mean, they didn't even have, right. they couldn't, you know, when you, when you go and you research the conditions that they came over here in, I came over here on a BWIA airplane, you know, flew coach, right. you know, had a suit on, got peanuts and something to drink on, on the plane. Some of these people, you know, sat in the bottom of ships, sat on the on, on the decks of ships and, fro, you know, froze and had to deal with the elements because they couldn't afford it. They came over here as as destit, the most destitute of Europe. And to now turn around three, four generations later and be right. passing these sort of draconic laws that do nothing but, but, but suppress the idea of what America is. You know, the Statue of Liberty says, give me your tides, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. That's not – they need to go and redo that because – it's right. actually the opposite of that. Don't come. We don't want you. We don't need you. Mm-hmm. Don't come here. And so it, it, it creates right. this sort of atmosphere of us and them when, you know, you go back, Malcolm X's mother, Malcolm X fits in that category, one of our greatest black leaders. Malcolm X, he was a, his mother was from Grenada. He's like my children who were born here to West Indian parents. Um, Stokely Carmichael, the first man to say black power. Uh, another Caribbean man, Langston Hughes, another of our most talented poets, Haitian heritage, County Collin, you know, the, the list goes on and on. For, there's so many ways you can go back to the beginning. Marcus Garvey, 1917, literally 100 years ago. Caribbean, right. you know, to, to think about the influence of, of people of other cultures that have come here and, and the, 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 the contributions they've made to moving America forward as this melting right. pot of a country to to see these things turn around now and have students, you know, put find themselves in these positions. And what, the reason this yeah. probably has a Latino face is because most people in, the, in most Africans and Caribbean people, they're very, they don't trust the system. So when, when they came out a right. few years ago and saying, if you've right. been here, most of the people I knew said, no way I'm doing that because next thing you know, now I'm going to be on the spotlight and look, look at what's happening. Mm-hmm. Exactly what's happening. Yep, the same children that went out and I think they were called the dreamers, the dreamers or something like that. A right. Couple years ago and they were yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These are the same people that they're not targeting. And the reason they're so easy to target them is because they went and gave all their information because they sort of fell for the kind of, you know, we want to help come here. And, you know, Many, many, many Caribbean people and African people are saying, see, I told you, that's why I didn't go and do that. So now I don't have to worry right. about being one of the people that are being, that are going to be forced out or going to lose my educational right. opportunities. And I mean, right. you know, my sister came in when she was, I was 11 and my sister was eight. I have a cousin who came when she was three years old who's still struggling right now with her immigration issues. And she's wow. a 35 year old woman now. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, you know, people, yeah. adults in, in the family, not not taking care of what they needed to take care of and kind of letting things slip fast. And now here she is, 35-year-old woman, scared most of the time because who knows what's coming, mm-hmm. you know, who knows what, yeah. what the, now is this, who knows what's coming next. It's the wall, now it's this. And it seems that, you know, Trump really gets a big kick out of undermining the things that Obama did. That's his only criteria. Oh, Obama did? Yeah. Obama said yeah. yes? Then Absolutely. I say no. Right. You know, that's, you know <laughs> right. what I mean? It's, there is no other criteria. Yeah. It's like, I don't even think he reads some of these things. If Obama was for it, then mm-hmm. he's against it. 
Absolutely. And it definitely seems that way. It seems like anything that Obama signed his name on or even gave light to, he is in yes. his power trying to destroy every bit of it, you know. And it's sad because, you know, seeing on the news today so many, as you were speaking about, um, students, college students who are now, mm-hmm. you know, whether they should be focused on getting that degree in, in, in mm-hmm. their businesses and so forth. Now they're worried, okay, you know, and it was so sad I watched a girl today talk about how, she stands a chance of being deported back to a country that she's never known. She's Absolutely. never known it, you know, and, and, and she's so, her hardship is, you know, well, how am I going to adapt to being over there? How do I restart, you know, what I've you already don't. did over here? Yeah. You don't, yeah. you know, this is weird. Like me, yeah. for example, I came at 11. I have so many friends from that same age group. That came, for some right. reason, one of the oldest child in the family is 11 or 12 years old, the family. So I have, I have friends from Pakistan and India and Nigeria mm-hmm. and, and, and mm-hmm. you know, China. They, you know, when we talk, they're like, yeah, I was the oldest when I was 11. So there's a group of us. And it's that mm-hmm. same sort of energy of when we go back, like when I go home to my, to my country, the place I was born, they call me a foreigner. They tease me, oh, the foreigners are here because now I've been Americanized. I've been here for so many years. So there's a group mm-hmm. of us a whole generation right. of us that live just like that young lady you're talking about that live in this middle yeah. place where technically no place claims us. We, America doesn't claim us. And right. the country of our parents, of the, that our parents grew, born and grew in and, and birthed us in, and we got, you know, 11, 10 years in, when we go home, it's, uh, they know who you are. They know you're so-and-so the tailor. They know you're the tailor's grandson from America. Even, mm-hmm. even though you, mm-hmm. you live here, I have, like I have a scar on my forehead sort of a uh, Harry Potter-looking lightning bolt-looking thing I got at seven years old falling off the bridge in Antigua. And I always remind, wow. remind anybody that gives me that challenge that this is Antigua's signature on my forehead. You can't take that from me. I, I belong to this country. <laughs> and But you have it's to stay on you forever. And you're talking to somebody. I've gone home so many times. I love the Caribbean. I love Africa. And I've gone so many times, and I'm familiar with it. I retained my ability to speak, still speak in my native tongue, the native patois. But I mean, it's instant. I might as well be wearing neon green when I step, when I walk into the town, or I go into the marketplace wow. on a Saturday morning. Everybody knows that you're the, you know, the ex Islander who's home mm-hmm. now, and you know the assumptions about America that that people in the third world still carry. Like you know, being here means that you instantly have access to money. It means you must be well off. And we, and we right. as people going home, fall for that same thing. So we'll. We'll neglect our car note and our and our house note and all our bills so we can buy all these clothes mm. to go home to have everybody think, oh look, oh my God, look how look at how she went to America and she became right. a diamond. Well, how look she changes her clothes every day. Oh my God, another pair of sandals today. Oh my goodness, another pocketbook. They don't know that when you come back up here, you're dodging your landlord and your car note people. <laughs> but it, it's this it's this slippery. So that yeah. that young lady is right so on on the nose, and it sounds like she's yeah. somebody who like my sister or like one of my cousins came up here so young that they're only they're only yeah. from the Caribbean technically. You know what I'm saying? Like a three year old right, don't remember right. my cousin who came up here at three, she doesn't remember anything about mm-hmm. Antigua. She hasn't mm-hmm. been back because she doesn't have the ability to travel and re enter. So all she knows is the last thirty one, thirty thirty two years growing here. Absolutely. And knowing that she's Absolutely. that she's right, you know, like like Amer Antiguan by proxy kind of thing, but not necessarily you know, I dropped. I took her and dropped off in Antigua. She wouldn't know what to do, at all. Right. So that's, that's, what is that's it right like, across the board. What is it like for? Because you mentioned, you know, being here uh, for years and still, 
you know, uh, it hasn't always been an easy transition. What do you believe makes it difficult? Uh, Because when, you know, it's always amazing to me um, that I've met people from all across the world and everybody has been sold quote unquote this line of come to America, you live the American yeah. dream, you Absolutely. you know, all of these things. And so then when people get here they find out it's absolutely quite the opposite usually. And so what is your thought of of the treatment um that you have experienced in the amount of number of years that you've been here? Well, you know, I call it I call it the history of blight. You know, blight as in, you know, um, all of us remember mm. being freshmen in high school. You walk in and, and the upperclassmen right. are teasing you. They make a fun of your ear right. and your haircut and your shoes. Right. And, you know, maybe some of them will even push you in lockers and close the door and pluck your ear. All the stuff that kids, mean kids do, kids do to each other because kids are mean generally. Right. And you say to yourself in your pain, I will never do this. I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to do this. And then four years later, here you are in the hallway getting a new batch of people. And when somebody asks you why, you go, well, I had to go through it, so they got to go through it too. <laughs> and that to me, you know, I, wow. I'm, a, I'm a historian. That to me is really the history of America. It's, it's this idea of passing on the blight. You know, the first set of Americans, you know, the parents and the grandparents of the George Washingtons and those people, they left England because they were they were being persecuted. They weren't allowed to practice the religion right. that they wanted to do. So they got on boats, took risk. You know, in those times, traveling across the ocean to a new place was there was no guarantee. They didn't know when they would get right. there. They were at the mercy of the weather and and and, and the climate and the elements. But they came, Absolutely. and the minute they got here, first thing they acknowledged was the fact that they don't they don't feel blighted anymore. But because we're human beings and we we you know capitulate so often, what did they do? The very first thing they did was look for somebody to share to put that blight to, so that they could feel they they don't have to feel like the lowest person on the rung anymore. And it just seems like that just kept mm-hmm. transferring and transferring and transferring. You know, the the Irish came and the Jews came and the Italians came, and every time somebody came in. They were they got a they got a, a derogatory name that 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 sort of you know encompassed everybody and and then mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. In, after a few years they got the opportunity to move up the, the ladder so the, the Irish move out the Jews move in the, the Jews move out the Italians move in the Italians move move out blacks from the south move in blacks from the south move out blacks from the Caribbean move in and there's this blight there's this right. there the other thing the other thing until we finally get to this place I hope where we realize we're all in the same boat. And the people who are doing the manipulation are the ones that we should be opposing. So that's exactly, you know, I've had to stop people mid-conversation and say, do you realize the commercial, because that's what it is, the commercial that your country presents to the rest of the world? I literally, as a boy, thought that gold were on the streets, not not in metaphorically romanticized way. Right, right. I literally thought that, wow, we're going to America. We're now fine. You know, as a boy in the Caribbean, the, the greatest gift, I could have anybody relative sent for me was my cowboy gun, you know, my cowboy outfit and cowboys are from mm-hmm. America. You know what I mean? I remember being here. I got here in 1980. I remember in 1981, you know, I got here in the fifth grade, 82 in the, in the seventh grade. I remember we had to write an, uh, a, a biogra- um, biographical paper on a hero, an American hero. And I chose Al Capone and the teacher wasn't like, Oh my goodness, you can't have this guy. He's a, he's a murderer and a gangster. The teacher liked the fact that he, I, I mean, I found him in the library same place that Malcolm X and Martin Luther King books and George Washington and all those other guys. And, and my point is, in just 24 months, I was able to be socialized into thinking that a person who killed people and, and, and did illegal things was an awesome person, somebody worth writing a paper about. Right. And I never heard anything right. about Al Capone 
in, in, in Antigua. So that, that gives you an idea of how quickly the conditioning happens, you know, where you get this thing where... Absolutely. And I have it, you know, I, I have those things. You know, my brother is, is doing 35 years in jail for, for sort of drinking the Kool-Aid too fast. You know, he completely, I mean, to the wow. point where he couldn't speak without Patois anymore, and he just sort of picked up all of the stereotypes of black America, you know, the drug dealer, the gun toter, you know, mm-hmm. just just mm-hmm. picked it up, all of those things until one day, you know, I'm sitting there, and there's my kid brother on America's Most Wanted. Wow. And, and, you know, to talk about the full circle, I can remember sitting on the plane as the big brother. I was 11 and he was 10, and I'm holding his hand because he's scared and he's throwing up in the the, the throw-up bag because of the plane and he's freaking out. And he still doesn't like heights. Now a big, tough gangster killer that he is, he's still Mm. afraid of heights. You know what I mean? So to show you how how it can happen very quickly and you, you, you realize, oh, wow, look at me. Look at me now. Like, I remember when I got here, one of the things I did, and I still have some of those guys as friends, was I wouldn't allow anybody to tease the Haitian brothers and sisters when they came because they came about two years after mm-hmm. we got here, like mid-'80s. They started to really come in big numbers. And we got a lot of them in Stanford where I grew up. And I remember being on the bus, and I would hear them being teased because they, they, they were only speaking Creole. They didn't speak the English yet, and they didn't dress cool because they wore hand-me-down clothes or clothes that were donated by friends. And, and I remembered me two, three years before, and, and, you know, whether the person was bigger than me or not, I would not allow them to tease those people. And some of those yeah. brothers still come up to me and remember that, you know, and, and it's it's that remembering the feeling, you know, to go back to your question, this feeling of of the other. And, you know, in a yeah. lot of ways, it, it probably, I'm thankful now, looking back 38 years later, 37 years later, I'm thankful because what that did for me, whereas with my brother, he sort of drank the Kool-Aid and became... I, because I was pushed and, and ostracized so much, I said, okay, fine, I'll be this. I'll, I'll stay this. And eventually I changed my name right. from Kenny Cruz to Ayaba Mandingo. You know, I've been, you know, this actually this month makes 27 years of, of dreadlocks on my head and beard and, 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 and embracing my patois so that I, it, it still sounds brand, you know, it's like, like something that I never put down as far as my language. I, you know, the, the, my, my new right. collection of poetry is written in about 75% of it is written in, in my native Patois. And it just made me embrace that because I was like, okay, you won't accept me? Rather than feel bad, I'm just going to still be an Antiguan, still be from the Caribbean. And so here it is all these years right. later. I'm, when people see me, they see I still look like the other. But it's gone from right. shame to, to an amazing sense of pride. And then going to Africa, spending six months in Africa and seeing – people with those features that I remember being teased on, you know, the the black black and, and the big nose and the big lips. Mm. And seeing those features there and seeing how beautiful they are, you know, it really just reinforced the, the, the that decision I made mm-hmm. all those years ago to embrace that and to love that. And so now Absolutely. I am, I do look like an immigrant. And I, I love that. I love that because, you know, it was a time yeah. when it was a big deal to go around the world and travel as an American. People really, the, the reverence that America got because of her reputation around the planet and you know, I watched um, an interview with Roger Waters from Pink Floyd, and he's an Englishman. Yeah. He was telling Dan Rather. He was telling, uh, I think it was, yeah, Dan Rather was doing an interview. And he said, I don't think, you know, I, he said, you know, maybe Americans don't realize this, but this man that you elected as your president, he has ruined your, rep- your international reputation. Mm. He's ruined, yeah. he's destroyed it. There, was a, there <laughs> was a mystique. There was a mystique to America, a mystique, a sort mm. of a, wow. You know what I'm saying? And now it's like, yeah. oh, my God, come look who's behind the curtain. It's a little insecure white mm-hmm. man with, with with a comb over. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's like and, literally and, it's like know, the story the, of Oz. Absolutely. And, and the thing about yeah. it is that even if, if people 
didn't always agree with previous presidents in the past, mm-hmm. now you find it hard for even people to want to say who their, who their president is. You know, it's kind of like, of oh, course. gosh, you know, of this course. is who who we have, have chosen, you know, and, and so it shows the lack of embarrassment that we have. And you, know, since you know what? You just made me think, as a poet, you just made me think of something because it, it's like with Obama, which is awesome because you know the you know for me I grew up seeing black men le- leading my country so it wasn't that it wasn't yeah. that big of a wow to me even though I understood right. the significance of it here, but you know people were like you know people were really one of the the things that came out of this was people said anybody can be president, and they said mm-hmm, in that tone like mm-hmm. if you anybody that little black boy <laughs> black girl that little Spanish Absolutely. boy or girl anybody Definitely. can be president and now here it is eight years later and they're saying the same thing. But now it's a different tone. Like as an actor, you know, anyone is anybody can be president. Now it's, oh my God, anybody can be president. Right. You know what I'm exactly. saying? Exactly the same line. Exactly. But it's gone. It, it, it means yep. the exact opposite now. So, so the next thing, like Porky Pig could come and be president now, and then after that, Cookie Monster could be president because because anybody can be president. <laughs> the mystique of it, you know, you you, it's like it's like you know realizing that you could be Michael Jordan. You know, it's like I could be anybody can be president. There's really nothing to it, and that to, to lose yeah, that to lose that thing is I don't know how America gets that back. You know I don't know how America gets yeah. that mantle of lead us America. I don't know how the world America expects the world to now say that when the person that America has chosen to lead her is so compromised, is so fragile, mm-hmm. is so shallow, you know, insecure. Mm-hmm. You know, you can keep going for days with the adjectives on this cat. He's, he's a, and again, Absolutely. I'm the historian, so I know that there have been some dudes, you know, the Andrew Jacksons and the, you know, and some of them founding fathers who owned people. You know, you know, I don't, I don't, the whole worst president ever thing, you know, maybe in the last, you know, 20 years, but he got some competition when you look past, you know, you look, when you look at the 45 men that have been there in that position. That's a, you know, Eisenhower, when they came and told Eisenhower that they were killing black people in the South, he said, those are state rights. They have nothing to do with us. And he and that was it. He went back to his paper. <laughs> you know, Harry Truman, when they asked Harry Truman, his story, his story when, his, when his biographer asked him about bombing Hiroshima and, Nag- um, Hiroshima and, and Nagasaki, he said, uh, uh-huh. I, I made the decision, and then I had a great night's sleep. Wow. And he knew, he knew that this was something that was going to be recorded for all time. And he didn't. Find, he didn't mm-hmm. choose compassion. He said, "Yeah, I made the decision, dropped the bomb, and then I had a good night's sleep." <laughs> so you know, he 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 got a pretty he got a, some pretty big shoes to walk in. But you know, Absolutely. as far as even with those men, you know, Truman, he might have been this guy. You know, he might have been that, but he was he was he was a very smart politician. You know what I mean? Andrew Jackson, right. he was a, a brilliant military leader. You know what I mean? That many he almost annihilated the Native American population in his country with the, the Trail of Tears. But, you know, there were other qualities where you could understand why people would, would have voted for him and would have held him up. I mean, he's on the $20 bill. But then a Donald Trump, you realize that the reason this man is where he is is because of his, the negativity, the shallowness of his – so that, that's a reflection on, on the people because the, the, the leader is a reflection of the people. Absolutely. So that that's Absolutely. the big thing, you know what I'm saying, sis? Because okay, it's one thing to say, "Wow, what does Donald Trump as president say about America?" No, what is what does it say about us? Mm, absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah. What is it when you absolutely. you know when you have a legacy of "Give me liberty or give me death" or "Don't fire to mm. see the whites of their eyes" and you know, right? All men are created equal and all those things. You know, 
this is the dude. This is the guy who historians and historians, you know, we, we are very uh, neutral when it comes to looking at things because we don't look at things in 20-year 20 20 year chunks. Look at them in epochs, 500 years, right. a century, you know, big chunks of time. And in that way, you could just analyze it. You don't get – there are no feelings. You don't have to worry about your great-grandfather being upset because you're talking 500 years later. So you could just look at a thing, just break a thing Absolutely. down. You know what I mean? Just, and just go, well, wait a minute. How logically did they – Barack Obama, brilliant, brilliant, head of Harvard Law School. His wife, brilliant, brilliant. You could see even Clinton, the Clintons, brilliant, smart people. And then you see this guy, you go, you have to ask, you have to wonder, well, what was the lapse? What happened? You know, that's when, mm-hmm. you know, when, mm-hmm. when you come about putting, putting, putting hypothesis out there and trying to ponder what happened in that 10-year chunk of time, what happened to the people. And you go, oh, you know, they just, he just, he's just the perfect mirror of what this country is. And I, you know, I've been here 37 years. I got five American-born children that are all adults, so I'm definitely invested in the place. So I don't have the luxury of just saying, you know, f America or the heck with America and right. kind of move on. Right. I have to, I have to try my very best to figure out how to write the ship, or get with people who are in that mentality that they get the importance of us, some sort of collective resistance. And I don't think it has to be physical. I think a lot of times, you know, my question that I always ask everybody is, why do we care so much about what white people think? Why are white people mm-hmm. on measuring stick? And I have, you know, I, the mm-hmm. cliche, I have I have many, many, many white. My, my oldest child is half white. So for me, it's, it's deeper than just the idea of white people and having everybody go, well, why do you say that about white people? Well, you, if you understand what I mean when I say that, it's like, a, right. you know, in South Africa when they had the Truth and Rights Commission, a lot of people were pissed off at Mandela for that. Like, he didn't feel like he did enough. But what I liked about it and what Mandela pointed out was he was putting it on record. So it's not like in this country where you hear people go, well, my grandfather didn't own slaves, so what are you talking about? Well, my grandfather didn't lynch anybody. Well, in South Africa, they don't get to do that because you got to hear police come up and talk about how they were, they were they had a barbecue at their house cooking meat, and they were also burning a black man that they had killed in the same yard. And their neighbors was around there. So now you you can't say that because your neighbor, who your kids grew up playing with and whose pool you swam in, he killed a black man on his on, in his property the other day, and it's right there in the record. See, so you don't get to say my grandfather wasn't, because complacency right. is sometimes the most dangerous thing in the world. So that's that's the thing, you know. That's the thing that I keep that keeps coming back, keeps coming back. You know, the, the blown opportunity, that's you know, the Reconstruction period after slavery. America could have reconciled and moved forward, but she chose to do what? To 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 go with her base to to you know to. To, to see mm-hmm. her base mm-hmm. self, like, you know, the old adage of, you know, right. there are two animals inside of you and the one that shows up is the one you feed. That's what America did. America allowed the Ku Klux Klan to grow, pulled the federal troops out of the South and allowed them to go in and tear you bring the, the, the I mean, in, in, a, in two weeks, three weeks time, elected officials, black men, mayors, congressmen, they had to literally pack and run away from their homes. And here we are, you know, Martin Luther King died in 1968 for reminding America of something that she had signed in 1860-something, yeah. which was the right for black men to vote. <laughs> and when you think about it like that, you get frustrated because you know how brilliant Martin Luther King was. You know how brilliant all of Absolutely. those leaders. And you think right. about what they could have done to move us forward as a nation instead of being sidetracked by dealing with things like bias and prejudice and losing their lives in their Absolutely. 30s. I mean, I'm 48 years old. My oldest child is 28. I, I couldn't. I, I the, the idea of of him getting you know only being thirty four or thirty six 
it it's, it makes you shake because you know Absolutely. that. I, I mean, at 48 right now, since I feel like I'm just getting, I've just finally gotten all of the keys to the to the to the to the castle. Like I know where all yeah. the rooms are. I know what everything in the, I know right. what everything is used for. And it's like now I'm ready to go explore <laughs> the place. You know what I mean? So when you right. think about Absolutely. you know. It it just it just make it breaks your heart because you know that that potential for that person for that individual for those group of people to really get a load of this thing called life, which is right. such a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful journey. Absolutely. You know what I mean? It's, Absolutely. You go to you go to the third Absolutely. world and you see people smile more than us, and they don't get it because yep. they want to come here. They want I want to come to America. I want to come with you, but you smile more than we do, brother, and you don't understand how important that is. Millionaires that don't smile at all. Every day they may you look at them in the car and they're in their beautiful in, in beautiful cars on the highway and they're not smiling and you're like, but you look like you have all the things that people say make you happy. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> what I want to do is um, I want to take a uh, short break, uh, but we're going to come back and we're going to talk about um, Iyaba's um, painting, his poetry, writing, acting, singing, all of those things and how he got into that, we connected him to this. All of that and more, you guys. We're going to come back with more right here on the Beautiful Butterfly. Hey, everyone. It's me, Lisa, from the Conversations with Trent show, featuring, you guessed it, me. Be sure to tune in Friday nights, 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern, as we strive to guide you to greater authentic living right here on your radio network, YRN 
The complexion of your skin makes it hard for you to win. And if you lose, so do we. Because there are already too many brown babies being born and not and not enough whole unit families. And I, I as a mother, I write this piece as a play because you and your life, believe it or not, it matters to me. And ghetto uniforms, they're way too recognizable out here in these streets. Especially when the gang rocks to say that every young black man just joined the team. White tees, blue jeans, pants hanging down to your knees. Ghetto uniform. Take them off. Please. And welcome back, everyone, to the Beautiful Butterfly Show. <clears throat> I'm your host, Bianca Fly, and that was um, a track by uh, Fluid It Flow Malone, you guys, and try to ghetto uniforms. And, yeah, but I wanted to ask you, um, as far as your poetry and, and painting and writing, acting, singing, all of that, um, for you, you, you speak on numerous topics um, all, over the, uh, all across. And so for you, what do you believe? Um, has been what started your connection with uh, poetry and spoken word and, and singing? I know that uh, you, um, your um, your parents, actually your mother and grandparents, um, had those traits as well. But what do you believe connected you um, to that as well? I think I think the 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 need to download, you know, as in express myself, the need mm-hmm. to. to you know, being again did that sort of insecure kid because you know the, the name calling definitely pushed me into a into a, a, a corner, metaphoric corner right. where I, I was definitely very insecure. And so that discovering um, reading for me in, in the Caribbean, you know, we didn't have I didn't grow up with a television, so reading was was the thing. You know, my and my mother picked up on it. I started reading at about three years old. By the time I moved here at eleven, you know, all of the Hardy Boys books. All those Nancy Drew books, they had all been devoured. All the Sherlock Holmes books had all been devoured. And 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 years later, I get into Toni Morrison, and she says, you know, the, the, the greatest writers started off at reading. You know, you have to be very voracious with the reading. So I would have to say that the reading is the first thing, you know, really, really that. But then, then the, the, the need to, to express myself. And, you know, to be honest, that, that insecure kid, Miss Bailing, and I was going to remember her because she was the first teacher in fifth grade when I got here. And she thought I was, she made a big deal about my work. And the kids in the class went from, I, I stopped. That was the first, my first invitation into being not the other was when they real. oh, my mm. goodness, Kenny can, okay, Kenny, come draw this for me. Come do this. Come, you know, <laughs> and before, before I changed my name to Ayabe, it was Kenny. So a lot of my friends know that. And, you know, it's, uh, so that was the, the beginning of it. So once that happened, you know, like I just reconnected with my, with my art teacher from, uh, from, from middle school because his, his, his his college classmate is the um, is the owner of the one of the, the local galleries that represent my work here in, in, in Connecticut, and you know I was just telling her about you know my art teacher Mr. Sapovita who looked over my shoulder in the seventh grade and made a big deal about you know a drawing I was making. He went and got the other teachers to see it, and you know one of them said you could be an artist, and and I believed it. And, and she said, do you mean David Sapovita? Oh my God, we went to school together. We lived in Italy for a year. We grew in grad school. And so him and I have reconnected. And now, of course, now I remember, I realized that, you know, when I was 13, 14, he was probably 24, 25, just, you know, fresh out of college and fresh out of school and just starting to teach. And we gave him a hard time all the time. But that man, you know, he told me I had, I had a very, I had a beautiful brushstroke, was very natural. And I've told, I've had the opportunity to tell him, I don't know if you were BSing me 
or if you really meant that. But that's what mm-hmm. that's why I te- that's why I'm a teacher today because I realized that that something like something as simple as just a couple of words to an insecure kid who doesn't see anything quote unquote good that he's good at. You know, it makes all the world difference because it was the difference for me, and it literally is how this whole thing began. That was my, that was my. I got to a place, you know, um, and 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 I felt, you know, shy or insecure. I would draw, and people would be like, "Yo, come look at this dude." And, and next thing you know, it was like, okay, so that was my, that was my, my way in. You know, even when I I, I did fifty five days with Homeland Security in, in two thousand and three from from one of my not my nine eleven poems. And and that's the way that's the way I got I got ingratiated into those cats there. You know, I was doing drawings for them, and and yeah. it's you know it's, it's that same thing. And then then as as I grew, it was realizing that wow, like I have a lot of ways to express. And at first, it was you know, um, well, you're a painter, so paint, or you're you're a writer, so write. And it was never understanding that. You don't have to just be good at one thing. You can you can you can you can be really excellent at all of them if you apply yourself. And so now, Absolutely. you know, all these years later, twenty something years, you know, of doing this professionally, what I still get is what I what I get is that is that they're tools. Like I'm a storyteller. So when people ask me what kind of artist I am, that's my response. Now I'm a storyteller. I used to say okay. I was a painter. I used to say I was a poet. I used to say I was an actor. Yeah. I'm a storyteller, yeah. and I use those things as my storytelling devices. So yeah. I don't really get writer's block because what I realize now is if the thing doesn't want to come as a, as, a, as a written word, it may want to come as a visual. It may want to come as a yeah. song. It may want to come as, you know, a different different ways. It may want to come as a play, or, you know. So I once I discovered that thing, then it just – it just blew into nothing. Like now, the latest thing I've added is is the first thing I added, which was singing, because my mother's a singer, my grandmother's a singer. So that's the very first thing I remember being seven and eight and singing with the adult choir in church in the Caribbean. And but when I got up here, my boys teased me because you know you know guys ain't supposed to sing, only girls sing. So I stopped singing because I wanted to fit in. But now I'm yeah. I'm going. I did a musical two years ago, and the, the uh, musical director really thought I had a beautiful voice and. She really, again, another person who was either BSing me or really encouraging me. So I came out of that <laughs> that six week run like, wow, I should really start yeah. getting back into my voice again. And so now I'm writing songs, I'm putting a band together, and 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 it's mm-hmm. to me that's the thing. You know, it's like so it's it's the adding on. So that's the way I look at the thing, and I think that might be one of the reasons why they're not intimidating. You know, like when I got back from six months in Africa. I, I, my, I did my first performance piece based on seeing what they call theater there in West Africa. And and I started working on these sculptures. I didn't know it with no sort of training as a sculptor. I, I went and got some cardboard tubing, and I made five women that are, you know, uh, I call them um, the circle of mothers. They're sort of the centerpiece of this new performance piece, and they're 12 feet tall. And, and you know, I had to learn the hard way how to balance and how, you know, weight and how all these things and, and – and, angles and and now I'm a sculptor and I love the idea of it I love you know I remember friends telling me years ago you paint like a sculptor you think about the back of things when you paint mostly you know because it's a two it's a two two dimensional surface you want to give the illusion of of of, uh, of 3D but I, I would think about mm-hmm. the back of an arm you know the back of a leg and so it it applies itself perfectly to me being a sculptor so it's, it's just been that for me since so this sort of Wow, 
Okay, so you mean if I'm an actor on stage, I could sing, I could dance, I could cry, I could laugh, I could draw, (laughs) I could tell jokes. You mean I could do all of that on stage as an actor? Okay, so I love that too. Oh, you mean so I can write my film? I have, you know, Forrest McClendon, uh, uh, Emmy-nominated, Tony-nominated, you know, brilliant, 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 brilliant actor. People who who I call my friend who, who... come to me and say, you don't understand how unique you are, yeah, but most of us black actors, we have to wait for things to be written for us. He said, you write. You can write for yourself. And I've met, you know, people like Ruben Santiago Hudson, who, who you know, did Lackawanna Blues and played, played all 27 characters when he first did it. You know, who, who you know, he got, I don't know, he just won a Tony the other day for, uh, um, for his latest, doing uh, August Wilson's latest play on Broadway. Um, so those are the people that the universe has blessed me to come into into contact with, work with, and get energy from, vibe with. And those people all reinforce that same thing. Like, it's a tool. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? It's a device. Oh, I'm, I mean, like, right. was, was that you in that poem? That was you in that poem that I just we just heard? <laughs> that, that, no. was, that was fire. That was fire. <laughs> that poem was fire. And, and, you know, I mean, the the poet, could have spoken those words and 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 yeah. gotten exactly the same thing out, but putting it in a poem. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Blue jeans, mm-hmm. white jeans, yellow. You know, instantly you get the idea of color. You get the idea of what's going on, and, and it, it it does this thing that makes you really stop and drink the words, and nothing slips by like they would in a paragraph or in a sentence or in a statement or in a you know, an article in a newspaper, you, you, it's like the dance makes you it, you, it carries you right to the end of the piece. And you walk away from it going, yeah, you really got to pull our damn pants up. And that's literally and metaphorically, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, the way Booker T. Mm-hmm. Washington talk about pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. You know, it, it, we really got to get with the game and stop with this, you know, help me thing and, and, and do for self. Absolutely. For yeah. you, um, in doing your own uh, poetry, what has been uh, the one piece um, that has always just definitely created a lot of emotion within you? Anytime you happen to perform it, wherever, what has been that one piece that has, has, has stuck with you um, the most? Um, 41 times. 41 times. It, it's It's some poets run from their signature piece because it's a piece that, that sort of put them, that shoved them into the spotlight. And that poem, mm-hmm. that poem has literally been the reason I've traveled the planet. You know, I can remember somebody showing up and hit the sugar shack in, in Harlem one night from Japan wanting to interview me because they heard the poem there. Yeah, that, that to me, those are the kind of things that were really cool. So I love having a signature piece. And it's about Amadou Diallo. You know, at the time he was, Amadou was killed in a, um, I believe it was a year before 9-11, so we're talking 2000 or 1999. I just remember that at that time, my oldest son was 10, um, and my other two sons were, were uh, um, uh, four and five. And, and that's, the reaction for me was, yo, what if that was one of my sons? So I wrote the first part of it. And then like a couple of days later, they said, well, they're going to move the, the trial up to, you know, upstate New York, and I already remembered when they did that out in California with the Rodney King trial and the cops got off mm-hmm. and they moved it to a, right. know, a different jury pool. And so I wrote the back end yeah. of the poem. Yeah, I, I wrote the yeah. back end of the poem. And, you know, over the years, I've done it. I've slammed it. I've used it to, to do so many things. I incorporated it into my, my first one-person play that we just did off-Broadway. 
Um, but it's always been this thing that just kept growing in significance to me because now Malik is 28, you know, uh, Atiba is 22, almost 23, and Kofi just turned 22 two days ago, you know, two days uh, before my birthday. So it's just yeah. this thing, you know what I mean, where you it's gone from being a poem to a scream, a yell, a mantra, mm-hmm. a, 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 a yeah. A declaration, you know what I'm saying, and 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 so I Absolutely. do it now. And then you think about how many of our brothers and sisters have been killed since Brother Amadou Diallo lost his life twenty something years ago. You just, it just, it just, it just, it just breaks you down even more because, you know, what has happened is at the end of the poem, I I I, I add the new things, and I'm doing it on stage one night, and I realized I needed to just stop because I was going to make everybody in the place depressed because I couldn't stop. <laughs> then you get to the end of it, you know, and I want to yell because they could be Sean Bell. What else can I do? I have three Amadou's, and I think they got a plan because they could be Sandra Bland. What else could I do? I got three Amadou's, and I'm falling on the ground because they could be Mike Brown. You know, so it's like it's, it's it just you just keep growing. You keep on going. Wow, this is really remember that song. This is the song that never ends. It just uh-huh. goes on. Yeah. That and you know that that song is nice. It's like one of these kids Sesame Streety kind of things. But to have a poem like this that's talk about what it talk about, realizing that there is it, there's no end in sight, it means that we're dying. That's depressing. So, so that's the poem. That's the poem. Whenever I do the poem, it always sort of garners the same reaction. I I I, I can hear you, you, the, the sisters and the, the the mothers. I can hear them. Season, you know, like you know, when you hear somebody catch their breath, you hear people come up to you afterwards. And I mean, I, I, to be honest, I remember I did that poem in in uh in Seattle, um, man, 2000, 19, let me see, in 2000, 2000, I did that poem in Seattle, like about a year after Amadou was killed, and, and uh, it was at it was the National Slams, and the team from Alaska. It just what happened that one of the state prosecutors was a poet and she was on the team. She comes up to me afterwards and she's crying like crazy and telling me how much that poem, what that poem did for her and, and you know, how, how important it was for her to hear that poem. So I'm, I'm moved by that. And I always got to kind of download and sort of decompress after I, I, yeah. I go completely physically and spiritually into most of my pieces. So it's very draining. Right. So I come out of that and I kind of, sneak away upstairs to one of the top where you could look over, like kind of a balcony type yeah. of vibe. And I feel like yeah. these really loving hands rubbing my back. Like just like this really <laughs> loving rub and the energy is coming off me. And when I turn around, it is it is the stereotype of the white man that wants to kill me. He's in his 60s. Yeah. He's an older looking white man and he's in tears. Mm. He's just apologizing and saying he, he he came upstairs to do that, and that blew my mind. Wow. It blew me, you know, it blew me away because you think, you think like I remember when I when I first sat down with our producers and they asked me about my play. It was like, well, who do you think your demographic is? And I was like, you know, my play is about black people, it's island islanders and people from the Caribbean and poor people. And then the first the first we did, we workshopped it for about uh like twenty. We did about thirty shows workshopping it and. In the, the white people areas, you know, Sleepy Hollow and Westchester, you know, in, in those areas, part of New York. And afterwards, the, these audiences that would be like 95% white, 99% white, they would come up to me with these 
with these connections that made me realize my story was about people. Because, you know, one woman would say mm-hmm. things like, you know, maybe when you think about mango, you think about your grandmother or guavas. But for me, when I think about green apples, because she made the best apple pie, I think about, and you start to realize, oh, look, food connections. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? And you start to realize things yeah. like grandma's love and, 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 and the sort of tradition of passing along family things. And I came out of that realization. I really feel like us as artists, I think our job is really to keep on, keep, continue that that same thing that that the people that came before us did, which is this idea of we can get through this thing that these people are trying to force down our throat about hating and the other if we just remember to to, to defend our humanness at all costs, defend our, our. our similarities at all costs. And I really feel like that's my job. I'm the dude. I, I always tell people, you know, I volunteer <laughs> to be the guy who says the thing that nobody wants to say. I will say it because I know that that's the thing that starts the conversation. So I'm going to say it. Absolutely. Absolutely. My poems are my, and, my, my, my work. Is... <laughs> Do you um, have a piece you want to um, share with us tonight? Well, I think I think since we uh, – I think since we talked up 41 times, we should do 41 times first, yeah? Absolutely. I totally agree. <laughs> so, uh, 41 times. All right. It takes 41 bullets to quiet your fears. 41 times for your goosebump hairs. 41 times I grew in your eyes. 41 times to shrink me to size. 41 times you thought you saw a gun. 41 times I didn't try to run. 41 times in big mouth Rudy still can say 41 times a grand jury should lead the way. 41 times you still get paid leave. 41 times my mother will have to grieve. 41 fears of your fear you hurled at me. 41 times my black skin was all you could see. 41 times to make you feel brave. 41 times I was a revenge and slave. 41 times some lynch mob from your past moved like a spirit possessing your... 41 times you pulled out your rope. 41 times to strangle my throat. 41 times from four different cops. 41 times before one of you thought, stop! Stop. Stop. 41 times to make you feel calm, 41 times and I was never armed, 41 times for this racial schism to grow still more, 41 times more black blood spilled out on the floor. So yesterday, yesterday, sister, and I ordered three bulletproof vests. See, I have three boys to pass their tests. That's three boys with melanin in their skin, so I'm teaching them about reaching for anything around the waist because I know you won't waste no time stealing their lives from me. I'm letting them know how to turn around, read slow so you can know it's not a gun you see and send them home alive to me. I'm teaching them how to duck in case you try their luck. Duck, boy, duck, duck and roll, duck, roll and run some more. I won't let them outside the door of my eyes view. I pray to be with them when they run into you. I'm jumping out of bed with visions in my head of dead phone calls and standing in dark halls at the morgue with one million mothers crying, dressed in their best black dress, wishing they'd ordered my bulletproof vest, overprotective and paranoid too, but all I can do is all I can do to keep my three sons safe from you. I'll make them allergic to 5 blue. What else can I do? I have three Amadou's, and I want to yell, because they could be showing their hell. What else can I do? I have three armadus. And I'm falling on the ground. They could be my ground. What else can I do? 
I had three Amadou's, and I think they got a plan. They could be Sandra Bland. What else can I do? I had three Amadou's, and we always pay the price. They could be Tamir Rice. What else can I do? What else can I do? What else can I do? I mean, we could talk for the rest of the night adding adding names, right, sis? <laughs> Absolutely. You got Oscar Grant, the brother out in California. You got uh, Philando in, 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 in Minnesota. There's so many names. I mean, right. it's, it's, you know, and all the names I jumped over, uh, Trayvon Martin. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. Patrick Dallas Martin, who died a couple of months after Amadou and I mean, all the way back to Emmett Till. It's just, it's just it's forever and ever. It's, it's like the song Absolutely. that never ends, you know. And the Absolutely. reason that it never ends is, is it makes your blood curl if you have children, if you have a brother, if you have a sister, if you have it's people that are going out. Yeah, I mean, you know. And if they're not celebrities, Absolutely. like this last brother, the brother from from uh from Seattle that just got stopped in Vegas and they had him on on the ground, football player. All of a sudden, now yes, the NFL got a statement. Yes. All of a sudden, now the right. NFL. Now Roger Goodell got something to say now. Kaepernick can't get mm-hmm. a word that you can't get a brother no credit, but now that here's a starter, a Michael, one of the leaders of the right. team, one of one of right. likely a future Hall of Famer, and now you come up with an official <laughs> statement. So it's just, right. you know, when you think about the, the morality, man, you know, I, I remember as a, I'm, I'm and I'm I'm one of these people who who I can definitely romanticize the thing, and but I used to always struggle with, you know, you teach our children and growing, being the father of five children, you teach them not to lie, and and Absolutely. about honesty and. What do you do when your kid comes home and goes, Dad, you say we shouldn't lie. That's correct, son. But, Dad, the president is lying right now on TV. What do you say in that moment? Mm. What do you mm. say? What do you say? Do you say, well, son, you know, sometimes yeah. as an adult you have to lie. No, you, you can't do that because then you corrupt your child's ability to see goodness. You yeah. know, and, and that's, I think that's the battle that we that we really got to keep focused on is like, yeah, we are putting, you know, like the the the, 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 the uh there was a tribe of people, the Iroquois, I believe they're the Iroquois people. Thomas Jefferson studied them, and they would make these decisions if, if it didn't if it didn't make sense for six between six and twelve to ten generations out. They wouldn't even discuss it. Wow, wow, what a sense of leadership to understand that you cannot do things because they benefit you, like these these oligarchs mm-hmm. and the, who, who want to just they want all the money and they don't care what they do. And it's like, but even you're even creating conditions where you're rich billionaire heirs, heirs and heiresses are not going to have the best air to breathe. Oh, they'll figure out something to do to fix that. That's not my job. My job is to make them rich. <laughs> it's, mm. it's scary. It's scary. It's scary. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And for you, um, at the end of the day, doing what you're doing uh, consistently, how does um, Yaba want to be or what do you want your legacy to be? You have five children. Um, you connect with people from around the world. What do you want your own personal legacy to be? You know, one of my favorite favorite people on the planet and one of my favorite people who ever walked the planet is the great James Baldwin, just the master. And he said he came to bear witness. And I love that. I say that at the end of my play. Yeah. Is, is, you know, yeah. I'm going to write some, you're gonna write some poetry. <laughs> You're going to write some poetry. You're going to paint some poetry. You know, at the end of my play, Kenny, who was my young self, he comes out and he says to Ayaba, well, what are we going to do now? And Ayaba says, well, me and you, we're going to write some poetry. 
You're going to paint some poetry, <laughs> and we are going to bear witness. And I think that I want, I want to, I want to be, I, I want to be significant. You know, when I was when I was younger, I wanted to be famous. Yeah. Now I want to be, I want to be significant. I want to be important to my generation. When you talk about the people like Claude McKay, who who was here a hundred years ago, and and you know, you hear Lexington Hughes talk about getting his cadence from a Claude McKay. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, you can go like Charles Dickens. You know, I remember Charles Dickens. I grew up in you know in the Caribbean and read British literature. I love Dickens. I love. I I still remember Mrs. Havisham sitting there in her in her wedding dress. You know the old wedding dress that's decaying off of her. Mm-hmm. I read that book when I was fifteen mm-hmm. years old. You know, so I want, I want my work to have that sort of resonance that's just forever. You know, just, 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 just. And when it comes to and 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 in so far as the moving mankind forward variety, you yep. know what I'm saying? Those people, the, 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 yeah, the, the towers, the towers. You know, I don't, I don't. <laughs> money to me, you know, I tell my kids, rich, rich does not necessarily mean a million dollars. Rich is is Absolutely. having the ability to live the life you live. If that means a log cabin right. in the woods where you have just enough money in the bank where you can fly and go visit once in a while, that's that's fine to do that. But, you know, to think that rich means to covet everything and to want everything is, is just this warped idea of how we're teaching our children. So we have, you know, as a teacher, when I run up on these kids in schools, you know, the, one of the first things you have to sort of break down is this selfishness. And, and all kids have that. They want it to be their, their crayons. That's right. my toy. Right. That's my car, Daddy. Kids naturally have that. But once you get them into <laughs> understanding how to cooperate and, and to play with each other, so they true. have that. But yep. When they see, when they look out into the world and they go, well, Daddy, you said we're supposed to share. Well, we are. So then how come nobody's helping the people in, you know, how come they're helping the people here but not there? And how come nobody cried when Sierra Leone was flooded in Sierra Leone, but they're crying? You, children who come from this innocent place, you get you, you you don't want to be the parent who stands there tongue-tied in front of your child because you realize in order to explain what, what's going on, you're going to have to lie to your child or you're going to have to, you're going to, have to break this sense of purity. You know what I'm saying? It, it's a crazy place to be at, as a parent. And you know, the, I just was always honest with my kids. Just, just really honest, age 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 appropriate, but honest. So for me, I, I want and and then being a historian, I want in three four hundred years for for people to find my paintings and and for yeah, those things and, and my, for that to help define us for that for that. I mean, because that's what that's what archaeologists do. Archaeologists, you know, you go to a, a time period and you don't find you don't find the king's writings. You find one of the peasants' bowls. <laughs> that's right. And that's that's what that's, that's right. what they use to extrapolate and say, well, this is what these people were like. I don't want uh-huh. them to find Donald Trump's Twitter. If if they find if the only thing they find from this time period is Donald Trump's Twitter account, we are screwed. <laughs> Absolutely. You, I mean, if you think about it for a second, think 500 years from now, and oh, that's all they find. The only thing that they're going to be able to deduce is that we were some ignorant people. Mm-hmm. If he's the one that ends up representing us, you see what I'm saying? If they don't, they don't find Maya Angelou's work or James Baldwin's work, and they find him instead, we're screwed. Forget about it. Absolutely. And those are the things that motivate <laughs> me, and so those things that should motivate all of us artists. We have to put the work out. You know, I remember my, one of my one of my white friends in in college asking me, you know, in art history, uh, after two years of taking art history, why I only paint black people. I said, well, didn't you and I just sit through two semesters, three semesters of art history? Yes. I said, how many paintings of, by black people did you see? None. How many images of black people did you see? One by Ruben of, of the Moor holding a, va- a vase. I said, I don't want my grandchildren to have this. When my grandchildren take art history, I want it to be a balance. 
over 1,500 painting slides I saw, one, one had a black image in it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so we we gotta we just gotta do the work, sis. You know, I I find I look Absolutely. up and the latest thing is people tell me that I'm famous and I don't know what that means. You know, young kids when I go into school, the people that I meet around the planet, and for me it's like, look, I've if if famous means keeping your head down and doing the work and staying true to the work and just keep going and being and and, and staying true, if that's what that means, then I guess maybe yeah, okay, because that's all I've been doing. You know, I, yeah. Absolutely. And I, and I'm, if, I'm okay with that. And if the folks out here uh, want to be able to um, keep up with um, Iyaba and what he's doing and um, different venues he may be at, um, you guys can go to uh, com uh, yes. and check him out and uh, follow him on um, social media as well and connect with him and yes. go support him um, if he's yes. in your city. And uh, Yaba, I have truly enjoyed. I've truly enjoyed having you on the show. Oh, Very. I, 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 I'm looking forward. I was, I was. I look forward to it, and I really enjoyed it. You know, we got our, our first collection of poems called "Free Your Tongue Heavy Like 56," which is a, another Antiguan saying. It just means you have a lot to say. Um, okay. It's coming out. I'm proud of that. It's 20 something years of poems, and and maybe we'll come back on and talk a little bit about that. But that that we're definitely going to be going around the country with within the next two to three months. So definitely check us on Instagram, uh, the website, Facebook, at Ayaba, either Ayabi Bomanding or Ayaba Arts. And, and, and we will definitely, 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 definitely be in your, in your town with, with, the, uh, with the work. Absolutely. 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 Yeah. And it's been an honor having you on the show. And I definitely uh, would love to have you come back on again and talk about more of um, Ayaba Arts and what you guys have going on. Um, on there, but I definitely truly uh, appreciate you coming on here and enlightening our listeners as well as myself. I, I truly appreciate it. I appreciate you, sis. Iron sharp as iron, so so I was enlightened as well. Thank you, and I thank your audience. It, the energy was 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 excellent, excellent. Thank you very very large smile. <laughs> you are You're quite very, welcome. Very, quite welcome. Very large smile. Thank you for that. I needed that. I needed that. You know, with, with what's going on in the planet and going on in my homeland right now, it was good to lift my spirit this way. So thank you for that. Uh, you are very much welcome. And, uh, of course, I hope you have um, a great rest of your evening and weekend. And I'll be um, getting back in touch with you again to get you back on here. Definitely love to Absolutely. have you and uh, be talking to you soon. All right, sister. Love and light to you, here. Yeah? All right. Peace. Peace. All right, you guys, that was Iyaba Ibo Mandingo. Make sure you guys go and support him. Check out his website, www.iyabaarts.com. That's I-Y-A-B-A-R-T-S.com. And you can collect, um, check out um, maybe his appearances, art shows, performances, where he's going to be in a city near you, and all of those great things. And you guys, of course, coming up Monday, uh, we got author Imani. Um, she's going to be coming on, and she's going to be bringing us her book um, entitled Letha Vendetta, um, The Sins of a Mother. So that's coming up next Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time over here on the Beautiful Butterfly Show. Once again, thank you so much uh, to all of you guys who called in, tuned in. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so many of you, we appreciate you guys. 
uh, for supporting the Beautiful Butterfly Show, NYRN 1328. Much love to you guys. Hope you guys have a fabulous weekend. Um, our prayers still go out to um, all of our loved ones in Texas um, who um, experienced um, some loss, some damage um, due to Harvey. And to those of you who are in Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, coastlines, um, our prayers are with you on these current storms who are coming our way. Uh, Irma, Jose, and I think a new one today called uh, Katiev, I believe. So um, big prayers out to you guys. Hope everybody remains safe. Um, prayers out to um, our islanders um, who lost um, their loved ones on the islands. Um, our prayers are with you guys as well. And so with that said, folks, we're going to get ready to get out of here. I am Bianca Fly, and I'll see you guys next week.